Well, good morning. This morning is actually, by God's grace, our 100th uh, Sunday gathering as Cultivate Church. Thank you for being here. Just, um, just I don't know, just kind of sharing off the cuff from my heart. Um, 100 services ago, we were just trusting by God's grace that we would be here 100 services, 100 gatherings from now. Um, and, and we really didn't know what the future held for us. Uh, we were just kind of a, a, a band of naive people, about 45 of us, that were sort of just uh, trusting God together and pressing forward for what he had for our future. So uh, th- this room looked a lot emptier back then, and, um, but it was filled with people who trusted God, wanted to move forward, wanted to, to love one another and not just love each other in an insular way, but really um, be the people of God who are blessed to be a blessing and love others outside of our walls. That's where the whole cultivate thing came from, is that we want to be a people that cultivate the presence and the love of God, not just in our church, but everywhere in South Jersey. We, we want to be um, like, like fruit that grows from a vine or springs up from the ground, uh, not just to bless that, that one plant, but to be a, a source of nourishment and health and growth for uh, anyone that would come and take part in it. So that's really our vision, um, and we want to saturate South Jersey uh, with the presence of God in that kind of way, serving and loving people, especially the least of these. So we're in the middle of a a 10-week series, I think we're in week number four, called Story Formed. We are going through the story of God from the beginning to the end, basically, And, and we're trying to discover um, kind of our place in that story. We are all, whether we realize it or not, story-formed people. Uh, we're formed by some greater narrative that tells us who we are, and we all operate out of that narrative constantly. Um, so, so what we're trying to do through this series is really talk about what is the, the grand story, the great story that we're really all a part of. Some of us may know that story. Others of us may not know it so well. But we want that story to permeate our lives so that it becomes a, a, a means by which we see everything and everyone and every aspect of, of our lives. And so the plan that we're, we've been going through is that each week we're telling a different piece of the story and then we're taking some time to dialogue through it. And so if you haven't been here for this, I need your help as much as you need mine this morning um, because we really want to hear from one another. And the goal of all this is not just that we would listen for ourselves, but I'm really praying and hoping that as you're going through this, it's kind of perking your interest to go and maybe read some of the places in the Bible that you haven't read or haven't read in a while, um, and, and that you would start to become equipped to know the story of God in a way that you'd be able to share it with other people. Because we are the church, right? Um, so what we say is this is the hundredth gathering of the church. We're not just the church when we get together. We, we are the church when we scatter too, when we're in everyday life, the other 622 of our lives, six days, 22 hours. And, and so I, I'm really praying that you'd be formed in the story so that you'd be more equipped to be the missionary family of God in the world in the everyday. That's kind of the goal. So, so let's recap a little bit about where we've gone. What was the story that we heard last week? Can somebody help me out with that? Story of Abraham, right. So, so what if... And, and what was that story all about? A covenant that God had made with him. Why did God make a covenant with Abraham? What was God up to? So he's, he's choosing a people uh, to bless one and then to be a blessing through. That's a good recap of it, right? So, so what God is doing is he, he's uh, essentially taking from the earth 
a particular family, and he's saying, I'm going to bless you in such a way that, that you'll be a blessing. And the reason that I want you to be a blessing is because I want you to show the world what I'm like. As, if you remember the story up until that point, humanity has gotten really off track from what God had intended. What was humanity's original purpose to exist? Why, did we, why were we created in the first place? To serve God, yeah. To be in relationship with Him. Yep, what else? What were we supposed to do to the rest of creation? Take care of it in such a way as we really display God's care for us, right? So, so God is the one who's in control of the world. He's the one that's the primary caregiver. He's the, the, the grandfather. And, and so humans were created to display to the rest of the world what God is like and to tell about him and what he's like. And so humans have gotten off that track. And so what God is doing is he's drawing out from this kind of sinful creation that has really gone astray one family to start over and to be his, his sort of new presence in the world. He said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. Um, and so what was God going to give Abraham? What are some of the, the parts of that covenant? He was going to give him land, right? What else? Yeah, children. How many children? More than the stars, right? You can't t- see too many stars here in South Jersey, but if you go like way out in the country, you're pretty, it's pretty amazing, right? How many stars are up in the sky? Um, and, and so did God start to make good on that promise? How do we see that? What did he do? Just in the story that we saw last week. Right, so he showed him the promise, and then he started to give him that promise through what? Remember, God, he gave him a son, right? What was the son's name? His name is Isaac, right? So that it's, and Isaac is the kind of the first you know, descendant that would carry on this legacy. So let's, let's uh, kind of start out this morning, because we're going we're gonna to whip through about 1,500 years of history this morning. So buckle up, because... Um, because we're going to get through it all. But it starts with, with Isaac. Years later, this son Isaac had his own son named Jacob. His name was later changed to Israel, meaning struggler with God. The Hebrews would then be called the people of Israel after Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of his sons named Joseph ended up living in Egypt. Joseph's story is an interesting one, but we're going to save that for another time. Joseph invited his family to join him to escape a horrible famine that covered all the land. While living in Egypt, the people of Israel grew into a large nation. After Joseph died, the king of Egypt, whose name was Pharaoh, feared Israel because they had become such a great nation. They had become so numerous. So he treated them horribly and made Israel his slaves. And their slavery lasted for 400 years. But God promised he would bless his people. So the next scene starts like this. God inspired a man named Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery. He sent Moses to warn Pharaoh that terrible things would happen to the Egyptians if they didn't release God's people. Pharaoh was arrogant, though, and didn't listen, so God sent a series of horrible punishments called plagues to the Egyptians. But these plagues did not affect the Israelites. God turned water Uh, into blood. He filled the nation with frogs and gnats and flies. 
killed livestock, covered people in horrible boils, destroyed the land with hail and locusts, and brought great darkness over the land. In spite of these horrific events, Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go. And so God sent one more plague, a plague that would take the life of every firstborn person and animal in Egypt. But God provided a way for the firstborn of Israel to be spared. He instructed them to take the firstborn male lamb without defect and sacrifice it to him without breaking any of its bones. Then they were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorposts of their homes. So the people of Israel did what God told them to do. At midnight, God sent the death angel through Egypt, taking the life of every firstborn male. But passing over the homes, the blood was on their doorposts. The Egyptians wept over this tragedy and begged the Israelites to leave, releasing them from their slavery. And now Israel, a large nation of over two million people, set out to return to the land that God had promised to their ancestor Abraham. But Pharaoh wanted revenge. He sent his armies after Israel to catch up with them and kill them. And when the Israelites approached the Red Sea, they thought that they were trapped by the waters and would be caught by the Egyptians. But God split the waters so the Israelites could cross through the river on dry ground. When Pharaoh's armies tried to cross behind them, God brought a huge wind that blew the waters back over them. The Egyptian army was completely wiped out. Two months after leaving Egypt, the Israelites set up camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai. God descended onto the mountain in fire, and a thick cloud of smoke covered the entire mountain. And God called into his presence uh, Moses on the mountainside. There God spoke to him, saying, Tell my people this. You saw how I carried you on the wings of eagles and rescued you from Egypt. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured people, a kingdom of priests set apart to represent me. When Moses came down the mountain, he told the people what God had said. They all agreed, we will do everything that God has asked us to do. No, really, we will follow all the commandments. After that, God gave Moses instructions on how the people could return to following his ways and live in freedom. A life lived close to God and under his protection. We call these instructions the Ten Commandments, which were God's basic rules for life. He said things like, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Put me above everything else and do not worship other things. Do not misuse or or disrespect my name. Remember to set aside a day each week to rest and to worship me. Honor your parents. Don't murder or steal or lie. Do not sleep with anyone but your husband or your wife. Be faithful to them. Don't lust after what other people have, but be satisfied with what I give you. God gave Moses more instructions called laws to give to Israel. These laws gave specific details about things like how to treat neighbors and enemies, how to handle conflict, 
what's fair punishment, when to work and when to rest, when to celebrate and worship, and what offerings are acceptable to God. But the people did not want to live within God's boundaries and rebelled again, calling these instructions a new kind of slavery. Even those who tried to obey these rules found that they could not keep them perfectly. Because God always does what is good, right, and perfect, he could not overlook their sins, and the ultimate punishment for sin is death. A life must be given to pay for each person's disobedience. But God loved his people, and so he provided a way for them to substitute the life of an innocent animal in place of their own. People would bring pure animals as an offering to God, asking him to transfer their sins to the helpless animal. The animal was then killed, and its blood was given in place of the guilty person. This system of sacrifice continued for hundreds of years. Sacrifices for sins had to be given day after day, year after year. And God accepted this, but only as a symbol of what was to come. He was preparing a final sacrifice that would pay for the sins of the world once and for all. That's the story. So, let's kind of rewind back to the beginning. How is it that the Israelites could avoid death of their own firstborn children? How could they avoid that? Yeah, they'd have to put blood over the doorpost. How would they get that blood? Right, so they would take a lamb. What was significant about that lamb? What did it have to be? Firstborn, male, without blemish, right? And no broken bones, yeah. Great, good good recall of detail there. Yep. And so they would take this lamb and they would sacrifice it, right? Um, and then, then what would they do? So they'd put the blood on the doorpost. And then um, how did they know that they were secure? What, did they, what would they have to do at that point after the blood was on their doorpost? They'd have to hide, right? They'd have to kind of put themselves underneath, in a sense, the blood of the lamb which was slain on their behalf, right? So, so who provided all of this for them? Who, who made a way for them to know, like, a way out? God did, right? So what's that say about him? He's merciful? Yeah. Detail-oriented. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep, we've seen that a lot in the story, right? (laughs) Yeah, he knows the right way. How's that significant? (laughs) And that we don't know, yeah. He knows, we don't know, and so he's gracious enough to tell us how. Yeah. Yeah, and he gives us what we need. You don't get the sense that God is trying to hide the way out from his people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're not like figuring it out in, in advance. How are we going to get out of this one, God? No, God is right there, right? He, he, he's telling them the way out. So in what other places have in the story, kind of think back to what we've already done. Um, what other places have we seen that, that sort of life and blood of innocent animals was used in, in some way um, for the sake of covering another person? What do you mean expulsion? Just 
Okay, when they were expelled from the garden, what did God do? Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't really highlight that at the time, but did, did you notice that God covered them in their nakedness and shame with animal skins, right? Where did those animal skins come from? They must have come from living animals, right? Old Navy, yeah. Old Navy or the, the, the local, yeah. <laughs> so why is the sacrifice and the blood important? Yeah, because life is in the blood, and, and who does life belong to? It belongs to God, right? Yeah, what else is significant? Okay, payment of sin is death. And so what, is, what are we saying there by, by the blood of animals, right? What's going on there? What's that? Yeah, there's, there's an exchange that goes on, right? So, so what is a covenant again? It's a promise. It's a commitment. What's that? It, yeah, we said it's the, the deepest level of commitment, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a contract between two parties. Yep, exactly. And it's the deepest level, right? There, there is a significant sense of commitment to it. So what was the covenant that God was talking about that he was going to keep? It was the covenant with Abraham, right? Um, and, and so... Who is, um, who is kind of receiving the covenant at this point? Yeah, the people of Israel. They're benefiting from it. So, so is God kind of continuing his covenant with them? Yeah, we sort of see that, right? He's being faithful to what he said he would do originally. Let's flip the, si- the, the coin then. Does it seem like Israel's being faithful to their side of the covenant? <laughs> On and off, right. Yeah. Where do we see that they want that they their hearts really do want to hold to the covenant? Yeah, right. No. Really, we're serious this time, right? Yeah. We really will obey everything, right? Where do we see them falling short of it? <laughs> when they find out everything that they agreed to. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. So, yeah, did you hear that? They 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 interpret the, the commands that God gives, his, his, the boundaries of the covenant, as a new type of slavery, right? And so they want to rebel against it uh, and, and kind of live their own way. But what was God really doing through those commands? Why did he give them commands like that? To show them that they were incapable of doing it? Why else? Yeah, so he's pointing ahead, maybe later down the, on the, in the story. What was God really saying by giving them the commandments? What did he want for them? A better life, yeah. Yeah. Don't murder one another. Okay. That would be kind of good. I think I'll, I'll take that into advisement, right? <laughs> what do you think God meant when he said, I want to make you a kingdom of priests? Okay, good people. Evangelists. What, what, in what way? What do you mean? So equipping them to go out amongst others to what what would their purpose then be? Yeah, just to share his story. But you notice he connects that word priest with what he's done, right? That's an int- interesting point. I, I've I, I freed you from slavery on the wings of eagles, he says. 
Now go and be my priests in the world to tell people what I'm like. That's kind of what he's doing. And then, he, and then he gives them commands so that they would know kind of how to do that. So let me ask about the commands just real quick. Um, what do you think, it, you know, you heard the list and you're probably familiar with it. Maybe you heard it somewhere else. What do you think is the most difficult command to keep? Yeah, not have idols. What's that? <laughs> One to ten? <laughs> is anybody like, you know, I really struggle with the murder thing. I'm trying to... I'm trying to cut back on that one. So later on in the story, Jesus kind of turns up the dial. He, he sort of turns up the heat on what, what was meant behind those commands, right? But a lot of you said the, the don't worship any gods above me kind of put me first. Why do you think that's the most difficult one? It's a hard issue. So we're, we're, we're wrapped up in what we can see, right? And we've already seen faith as kind of being confident of what we can't see. So it's obviously connected all the way back to the beginning of the story because of that. Yeah. What was that? What was the original choice that Adam and Eve had? Do you remember that? Yeah, it was to it was to eat freely of the tree and have life underneath God's protection and trust him for everything. Or it was which ultimately produced death, but it was wanting to control the knowledge of good and evil, good and bad in our lives, wanting to make the call ourselves. So, so do you see the connection there? Why, why would the first one, um, to put God first above everything, another way to say that would be to remember him in everything that we do. Why would that be the most difficult thing? Yeah, we're, we, we want to choose, right? We want the, the choice to be ours. So I would actually submit to you that, that all the rest of the commands, sort of two through nine, are just outworkings of getting the first one wrong. So what is it, what is it saying about me if I steal from someone else? What am I saying I really believe? That it's mine? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it is now, yeah. What, I, I kind of, yeah, that God won't provide for me. Why would, why would a, a faulty belief in God as my provider lead me to want to steal from someone else? You're not willing to wait for him? In, in actuality, we don't believe that he's going to give it to me, right? Or we might believe that I deserve it um, when, when God says, no, I, I, would ref, I would actually prefer you not to have it because it would be harmful for you. See what we're doing there? We're taking back the knowledge of good and evil. We're trying to do it ourselves. How about um, sort of coveting, there it is, Um, coveting someone else's things, being being sort of jealous that somebody else has more than you do. How would that, where is that connected back to God? Where have we seen that even in the story that we've done so far? That, that kind of jeal- jealousy, hatred. Yeah, and Cain and Abel's story. Cain, uh, you know, uh, God accepted Abel's gift. He didn't accept Cain's. And, and instead of saying, all right, God, you know what's best. I trust you. And I'll remember you in the way that I give from now on. 
He says, no, I'm jealous of my brother. I want, I want the blessing and the grace that he has, and so I'm going to take him out. Yeah, so it's a, it goes back to God, right? It goes back to not remembering what he, who he is and what he's done for us. And so instead, we need to exchange uh, that truth for a lie which says, no, God won't. He's provided, he's been good to other people, but not to me. And so therefore, I have a right to covet whatever that is, whether it's stuff or status or position or relationships, everything that you mentioned, yeah. How about the um, uh, honor your father and your mother? How does that work back to, uh, to God uh, and not remembering him first and everything? What does it say about you when you don't honor your mother and father? What is God saying? Because like, I'm assuming that there are people in Israel who had bad moms and dads. Not everybody had a great mom and dad. And sometimes, you know, we stipulate that command, right? God says, uh, honor your mother and your father. And we say back, sure, I'll do that as long as they're good, right? As long as they're worth honoring, right? So what, how does that lead back to God in, in our belief system? Yeah, we're determining right and wrong. And even more than that, we're saying to God, uh, I, I would have honored them if you gave me better parents. Right? I mean, ultimately, it leads back to him because if, if he's the source of everything, we're, we're just saying that to God. If you had given me better parents, I would have honored them better. What does God really want us to do? He wants us to honor them. Yeah, in spite of it. Right. Not because they're good parents, but because who's a good parent? Because he's a good parent. You see how that all kind of leads right back to, to God as being first in our lives? The moment that we do that and we make that exchange and switch and, and put him down the totem pole, it, it opens up the rest of two through nine for us. Now we become people that covet. Um, we justify all of that stuff because we don't believe that we're getting it from God. Same thing with, with the, the um, you know, being faithful to your spouse. Um, you may not realize this, but, but all pornography is is a, a way for us to tune into a channel for us to feel like somebody's desiring us and wants to be with us. It's an identity issue, right? We're forgetting that we can actually find our true self in the grace of God and in his story to us. And when we forget that, now we run to other means to find that goodness because God isn't truly good. See how it's all connected back? So what's God really saying through these commandments and laws? What, is, what are they expressing about him? He can be trusted, yeah. That's a huge thing. I think a lot of us need to hear that, right? God can be trusted. Yeah. Shows that he wants to be in a, in a relationship to, with us too. All right, we're going to move through it because we've got another scene to cover here. So th- here's the second scene, and this is where we accelerate a little bit. After wandering the desert for 40 years, God led the people of Israel to recapture the promised land from their enemies. God gave them many victories in battle and completely honored his promises to them. But the people rejected him and worshipped false gods. The false worship led them then to many other sins. And because of their sin and disobedience, God removed his protection and allowed them to be overpowered and punished by foreign nations. When the people suffered, they would come back to God. 
and begged for his help and forgiveness. And God once again forgave them and sent leaders called judges to lead them in defeating their enemies. These people, these judges, aren't kind of like judges today. They're more like military generals. Battle after battle, Israel conquered their enemies at every border. In victory, the people would worship God, but soon after, the people turned away from God again and lived in their own way. Unfortunately, this became a pattern from generation to generation. The people of Israel would come to God and they would worship Him when they needed help. But when things were going well, they returned to worshiping other things. This was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Since kings ruled other nations, the people of Israel complained to God, saying, we want a human king that we can see to rule over us. So God gave the people what they wanted and allowed them to be ruled by a succession of human kings that ultimately rebelled against God and His authority. Because of their rebellion, God removed His protection from Israel and allowed other nations to come in and conquer them. The Israelites were forced out of the promised land and many were taken slaves once again. During the time of these kings, God sent prophets to be His messengers. God spoke through the prophets, calling people to return to His ways and follow His commandments. The prophets warned Israel of what would happen if they continued to rebel against God. Prophets also foretold of a new covenant that God would make with His people. They pointed the people to a coming Messiah, an eternal King who would fulfill this covenant, save them, and rule forever. God gave the prophets a vision of what the Messiah would be like when He came. The prophets, like Isaiah, foretold that a virgin would give birth to Him in Bethlehem. That He would be from the line of King David, their greatest king, who was a descendant of Abraham. He would do no wrong living a life without sin. He would be beaten, killed, and buried in a rich man's tomb. His life would be made an offering for the sins of his people. He would establish a kingdom like no other Israel had ever known. He would fulfill every promise God made to Abraham and Isaac and their descendants. God will lay the punishment and the guilt for all the sins that have been building up from the very beginning on Him. And His life will be made an offering for us. Because of Him, many will be made right with God. Despite the warnings of the prophets, the people of Israel stopped listening to God. And God did not speak to humans again for 400 years. What's the most striking characteristic that you noticed of this people of Israel? These Israelites. The wayward hearts, yeah. Yeah, how else would you put that? They're stubborn, right? Yeah. Disobedient. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll change the pronoun in a second. But <laughs> right now we're concentrating on, the, on Israel, yeah. Yeah, what else do you notice about them? They're fickle. Yeah. So they turn to God when they're in times of need. They cry out to Him. And then when things are good, they go their own way and they do what's right in their own eyes. Right? 
Yeah, right. And then when God, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, so God shows up, he saves them, and what do they do? They complain about the method of his salvation, right? Yeah. Right, and blame him when it doesn't go right. So what does God do? Even though they they go their own way and they only cry out when they need him and then they forget about him and they get in trouble, what does God do? He, yeah. He continues to save them even when they do wrong. Yep. And promises a a Savior to come who will, will right every turn. Do you ever, just a side note, feel in life like, um, when you do something wrong, you've royally messed it up with God, and so you need to do all this stuff to kind of get yourself back in line with God before he'll listen to you. You ever like make one wrong step and you go, man, that was bad, and then you make two wrong steps and three wrong steps, and you think, wow, I'm really off the path. I need to make four giant leaps back in the right direction in order for God to pursue me and save me from this. How would this story correct that line of thinking? Does God need to have you kind of do all the right things in order to pursue and save you? No, right? What does he do? He goes right down that path that you went down the entire way to its end. So all, all we need to do is turn around. We don't need to retrace our steps. I think that's a good word. So in what ways can you relate to this pattern yourself? In what ways are you willing to say that you can relate to this pattern <laughs> yourself? Well, I'm not raising my hand, you know. <laughs> you rate. <laughs> Stubborn. Yeah. 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 We're, we are them, right? In more ways than we realize. How, how I mean, here's one of the indications. How quick are we to sort of question um, or, or submit, maybe, to the authorities in your life? How often do you find yourself questioning people that are above you? <laughs> never, right? <laughs> I am totally submissive all the time. I never even think of that. The flip side of that is then, how, how often do you question your own authority? We often question the authority above us, right? How often do we question our own authority, whether we're, we're providing the right authority for others to submit to? We're always right. Yeah. In fact, we have the knowledge of good and evil, right? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> What do you think motivated them to live for themselves? We're seeing it again, right? It's that same thing. I mean, how often have we seen this? Seeing how this is just replaying itself over and over and over again? What is it that they wanted? They wanted the freedom to, to not be enslaved to anything. Anyone. What was God trying to do, though? That's the irony, right? He's trying to liberate them, and they're going, I don't like your liberation. Liberty is is living under my own rules by my own way. What's the reality? 
They're deceived, and where does it lead? Yeah, it leads to death, doesn't it? I mean, how often are we fooled into that same line of thinking that says, if I just have more independence, if I just have more of the ability to choose? I mean, we live in a nation that, that puts, I mean, if you were to line up our gods in order, I think the one at the very top would be uh, the ability to choose for ourselves our own destiny, right? We're a nation that's founded on that very principle. Yeah. What does that say about us? We're like the Israelites in more ways than we realize. Yeah. How often do you think our culture justifies uh, personal comfort as being an ultimate God? So, so remind me again, who, who is it that keeps sa- kind of saving Israel from their slavery initially and then over and over again? It's God, right? Um, so why do you think they keep running from God even though he's the one saving them? Selfish and stupid. (laughs) They'd rather be gods themselves. Yep. They think they know better. In a sense, they're kind of afraid of God, right? Where else in the story have we seen people uh, who made a bad choice and then were afraid of God because of it? Adam and Eve, right? What is... Cain, yeah, all throughout the story. It's amazing, isn't it? Did you guys hear that? Um, there, there's, we see it from the story that there's chaos that happens when God is removed from the equation. And God allows that to happen in a lot of ways, right? He wants them to kind of, in a sense, see what it's like to be their own gods and how incapable they are of, of fulfilling that role. And yet when he comes into the story, there's peace and order. There's shalom is a good kind of Old Testament biblical word. It just means peace, but it means an overwhelming sense that everything is in order and has its place and purpose. Isn't isn't that true of life, right? Isn't that oftentimes the case with ourselves? So, So let's just summarize then from the stories that we've seen so far. What have we learned about God? What's he like? He pursues us. He is trustworthy. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's a great provider, right? Preach it, brother. (laughs) He doesn't throw our past in our faces, yeah. He's holy. What's that mean? Do you remember? He, he always does what is good, right, and perfect, right? He's loving and faithful. He meets us where we are. Let's just turn this into a worship session. What, is, what, is, what have we learned about God? Let's tell Him. He, yeah, let's tell Him. God, You are long-suffering. God, You are long-suffering. You, you are patient with the sins of your people. What else do we know about this God who has revealed Himself through the story, this God who we know? God, You're gracious. You're loving. You know best. You're a good provider, God. You're a perfect parent. 
I'm serious. Let's direct this to God. He's in the room, right? I mean, we're told by His Spirit that God lives among His people. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, He is here. He's present with you. And so we don't have to like bow our heads and close our eyes and clasp our hands for Him to know it. We can just tell Him. So let's shout it to Him. everything I need. It's all sufficient. Thank you, God, for that. What else is God to you? He's, tr- he's worthy of our trust. Do we know that, God? Do we, do we live in that reality? Or do we look to other things to, to find our trust? Help us, God, in our unbelief. Yeah, he, he's... Thank you, God, for your, the intimacy that you pursue over and over again. Yeah. You know our names, God. You know our names. You know our stories. We, yeah. He's, yeah. You're a healer, God. You're a provider, Lord. Thank you, God, for that. Yeah, he's the God of second chances. Thank you so much. And third and fourth and fifth and hundredth. And <laughs> this is what life should be like, right? I mean, knowing our story, reading about the God who is, it's not just words on a page. It's not just a, an intellectual conversation. It should lead us to the point of worship. We should be breaking out in worship all the time when we remember what God is like. What else do we know about him? Yeah, thank you, God, for covering our sins. Is this good? I mean, do you feel like God is present among his people today? I hope you do. Man. Thank you, God, for that. You never let us go. He desires relationship with us. Yeah, you're the God of peace, Lord. You bring order where there's chaos in our lives. If we would just let you, Lord, if we just open the door to you and remember you in the midst of it, we we need not be frustrated by the things that are often so frustrating in our lives. We, We can hand them to you and know that you're good and you're great. Yeah, God, your heart breaks when you see us rebelling against you because you know that you are the best thing for us. But just to let you know, I wasn't planning on doing this today. I had a nice, neat little sermon wrap-up going, and, uh, and I really felt like the Spirit was just leading me to do something else. I think we need to know it more. And here's the thing. This is what speaking the truth in love is all about. It is, it is reminding one another who love is and speaking the presence of God into our lives so that we would remember Him in everything that we would do and that we would lay down our rebellion against Him and go, I don't need to do this anymore because I have a loving God. He's gracious. He's for me. He's with me. He's in relationship with me. He's pursuing me. He's, he doesn't throw my sin in my face, but He covers it with Himself. our God. 
Isn't it wonderful? God has a good plan, too. And I'm just going to close with this. See, I got back to my sermon wrap-up. You love that dovetail? <laughs> One of the things I was struck with just reading the story is, is that um, God had been preparing a way back for his people since the beginning, right? I mean, and the prophets are just telling that. God has a way. He's going to send a Messiah. He's going to send a king, and that king is going to undo every wrong. It's going to, under that king's authority, all authority is going to be given to that king, and our rebellion will not be able to stand against his presence in our lives because he's going to come and live with the people again. And, And I was just reminded of this. Um, that, that in Galatians 4, verses 3, three through 5, um, the Bible says this way, in the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elemental, elementary principles of this world. We, we were in bondage, in slavery, just like the Egyptians were, right? But when the fullness of time had come, listen to that statement, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 400 years is a long time. That's a long time. And my guess is over 400, none of us have been living 400 years, right? Um, we, We often forget the goodness of God over a span of a week, right? Maybe even over the span of a day. Imagine over 400 years, wondering, waiting. Is God really good? Is God really going to show up? Maybe he won't. And yet, what does it say? In the fullness of time, God reveals himself. He shows up, born of a woman, born under the law, so that those of us that were oppressed by the law, because God knows that we'll never be able to keep all of the commandments perfectly the way that he intended us to, and that that weight was bearing down on us day after day, I know that I don't live up to the way that I should live, and I don't have a way out of it other than to feel guilty. God sends His Son in the fullness of time into that situation and says, here, let me take the burden for you. Because I can can fulfill the law in a way that you can't. You know what that says to you and to me? God has been preparing the answer to your greatest question since before you were born. Did you know that? His greatest answer to every problem that you've had in your life has been, is, will be, is taken care of through the person and work of Christ. He knows exactly what you need. We've seen it through the story, right? God is not blind to our needs. He knows us intimately. He sees the heart, remember? He says, let me come and take care of that. Let's pray. Father, put a new song in our heart today. Um, so, so often we want to sing our own praises and, and we want to point the, the, the credit to ourselves, but oftentimes we're crushed by the weight of our own waywardness because there, there is no credit to take. We just feel burdened because we know we haven't lived up to the commands that you gave us to set us free. And yet there was one that you sent in the fullness of time to take that burden from us so that through him we would receive adoption as sons. Help us to know who you are, Lord. 
And Holy Spirit, make this word alive in our hearts that we would go from this place and, and be a people who are blessed to be a blessing. Let, let us sing the praises of the one who saves us in everything that we do so that others would know not just that we're priests, but that you're good and you're gracious. Thank you, God, for your story. Thank you that we're included in it. In Jesus' name, amen.